Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 65. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined once again by the doctor of the hour, Robert Carter. Hello, Rob. Hey, Joe. How are you? Ah, I'm doing swell. Me too. Chatting up a storm with you, and it's been refreshing because we haven't seen much of each other lately. That's true. That's because I've been away. We started our our schedule back for uh, traveling for CMI, and I just had a Really nice weekend up in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes area. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That church I spoke to for four hours on Sunday. Four and a half hours on one day. How did that work? Well, two different sermons in the morning. And it was different ones. So, half the people at the first one came to the second one. That's unusual. And then an evening talk on Y chromosomes. And then an hour and a half Q&A sit down with the pastor on stage. Oh, okay. That was cool. four hours. Four and a half hours. Wow. A lot of fun though. Good, good people. They got their money's worth. They sure did. But it was good to be back in a saddle again. That's my favorite thing to do in the world. You know, after a year and a half of not doing that, we finally started to schedule back up and it, it was refreshing. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. So last week I went to a Christian film festival here in uh, the Metro Atlanta area. Yeah, do tell, do tell. Very refreshing. Very good. The Kendricks brothers are behind some of the films and uh, to inspire the younger filmmakers, they are part of the leadership of this film festival. And they showed a documentary that will be coming out on September 10th in theaters. I do highly recommend that if you're interested in their films and documentary films about the family values, then check it out. It's called Show Me the Father. Okay. And I think it'd be a good idea to watch it in theaters. It's well made. It's got good documentary cut. Cool. And I'll be taking some family to see it as well again. Cool. So okay. at the festival, I was just networking actually met a few other people that were interested in science subjects too, but I think I was the only one from a ministry quite like ours. Okay. And it was just an opportunity to see what the independent Christian filmmakers are doing right now. There was well over 600 in attendance. Wow. Now, do they have like booths? Each little company had their own little display thing or was just a bunch of people Mm -hmm. sitting in a room watching movies? Lots of booths and yeah, a lot of show times as well. And then uh, they were voting on the, the best of the various categories. So okay. I saw some interesting films. Well, too, a good job. It's too bad good we didn't have a film to submit to this particular one. Yeah. One of the ministry's documentaries was there a few years ago and we had a table. And then some of the people had seen that film since then and they were generating some interesting discussion with me. And they were like, yeah. And one of the guys actually said it's largely because of that documentary about aliens yeah. that he In, is alien a intrusion. filmmaker today. Yeah. Well, that's cool. We inspired somebody. Yeah. Well, you did more than I did. I disappeared. You're the guy who made the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your scenes in the movie, though. You help wake us up when uh, something like there's a dull moment that, you know, you just, you're entertaining to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get that Carter guy on screen. He'll make a fool of himself. Everybody will laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you wanted to talk about some space stuff before we get into the main subject, which has to do with your video production. So I want to get to that topic. We need to move on and talk about SpaceX and the like. Well, yeah, I, I like leading off the episodes with new space news or sorry, new science news, just fun stuff like that. Now, I'm always thinking oh, yeah. and, you know, I'll learn something, I'll add it to the show notes. And some days we have time to, to cover it and some days we don't. But this is two really interesting space associated things that happened this past week. The first one is that the Russians nearly destroyed the ISS. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of a big deal. That's the yeah. main space station, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of old and billions of dollars worth of stuff up there. But they finally sent the long-awaited research module called NAUKA, N-A-U-K-A. And after it got docked, it was, everything was happy and cool. 
And all of a sudden, one of the thrusters fired for an <laughs> hour. Oh. <laughs> and they couldn't turn it off. It's like, no one thought to put a kill switch on the thruster. <laughs> wow. And it rolled, it rolled the station one and a half times. Uh, you said that was in an hour and a half? That doesn't sound like a lot for that amount of time. But, mm. You think of something that large and that, you know, the way it's shaped well, true. to roll something mm-hmm. like that would not be easy. And if it was in the wrong place, it might have twisted something as it was for- making force on some lever oh. arm somewhere. Oh, I can imagine the friction. Oh, Yeah, happily, the whole thing rolled nicely one and a half times. When it finally stopped, they had to roll it back. But I can't imagine. I mean, how many people on ground control had a coronary when they're losing attitude control (laughs) on the most expensive piece of space hardware in human history? Oh, man, who who in Russia is about to get fired, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, real quick then, why is it called attitude control? Attitude? Attitude? Why is it called attitude? Um, um, that's that's the angle and all that kind of stuff. The the roll, the pitch, and the yaw. It's just called the attitude. That's a good okay. question. That that comes from airplane stuff early on in airplane history. Owners like this plane's got an attitude. I, I don't know what that means. That's kind of that's cool. That's a good question. Let's look that up and and find it out. Maybe one of our listeners is like you dummies. This is the answer, but but I don't know the answer. All right, we'll keep you posted on that one, guys. So the second big space news, and this was exciting, and it was beautiful, and just watching it, I mean, awe in my eyes, the tallest spaceship ever assembled. Wow. 395 feet tall. I mean, that's, that's longer than a 100-yard dash. It's not 300 feet, it's 395, 100-meter dash, I, know, I guess you say now. It's 120 meters tall. And it's a good-looking ship, too. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. This is the uh, SpaceX's Starship on top of a booster. So it's booster number four and Starship 20. And that booster has 29 engines. (laughs) (laughs) It's got 20 in an outer ring and then nine that are gimbaled so that can steer it. And it has these four gigantic fins at the top of the booster. So midway up the, the rocket, there's these several ton metal things they're flat and they're like like a waffle iron with holes in it they're sticking off in four directions and they can oh, twist huh. those so they can control the rocket as it comes back down but they're sticking out so on the way up it's going to be causing friction and the way down they can use it to to keep it upright so that because they're going to land that thing again at the boca Chita facility hopefully wow and then the top part is black it is yeah. cool looking. So they, they took all these hexagonal tiles and glued them all over the, or actually they, they clipped them all over the outside of the um, Starship number 20. And so it's got these four fins so it can fly, kind of like, not fly, fly, but so it can control itself belly, belly flopping on the way back to Earth. And all these, it's just, it's just, it's beautiful. Black and silver. It is. It looks like something out of a movie. Like a movie, the way you kind of want a rocket to look, it doesn't look clinical. It is something about the the NASA ships is that they, there's a little bit of a clinical quality to them. Something something that feels too official and uh, drab. I, I think it's the white, but because here you can see the metal, you can see the black together. It's gorgeous. Yeah, but they took it apart a couple hours after they put it together. It's not yet ready to fly. Some of the engines on these things haven't been tested. There's a couple. There's like three different steps they have to do before they finally put it together and fly it. We don't know what's going to happen, but I can't wait because this is the around the world shot. That's where right. the, heat, the heat tiles are on there because it has to come back into the atmosphere. 
Well, cool. The link will be to this uh, story in the show notes if you want to catch the video yourself or see the rocket. Yep, that's our space stories of the week. Very nice. So, moving into the main discussion, we wanted to talk about what you're doing these days with biblical genetics. And anyone that's newer to the show would probably have questions. I know that some of your older listeners, uh, they would understand what biblical genetics is all about. You started it a little while before we did Equinox. I started uh, recording I before we did Equinox, but I think I got mm-hmm. my first video actually online after Equinox started. Oh, that's right. So still, it's been a while, yeah. and it'd be nice to get a report on how it's going okay. and what your vision is for it. Well, I am happy to report that on YouTube, let's see, if I go to my channel content page, I have dun 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 dun, dun 2,204 subscribers. I'm From happy. the start time to today, that's really good. Yeah, and I've got 48 videos that I've posted. Not near. I'm only up to 10 videos this year. I want to be way ahead of that, but it's hard. It is hard to generate video content when you're a one-man band and you're not a video producer. <laughs> well, you're telling me, pal. <laughs> I'm a one-man department, so I, I do get all my time devoted to video production, <laughs> but even then, I, I, when you crunch the hours, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, you know, you're doing that for a living, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to make a video. <laughs> what on earth am I doing this? <laughs> the learning curve was steep, very steep. And even now, um, there's always technological challenges. Like my last one, I, I picked a, a cloudy day. It was sunsetty, so I was going to have a nice exposure setting. And I went to this rusty bridge, and I framed up this shot perfectly. This is all symmetrical, and I'm standing on the left side of, of the audience view, and the right side was going to be like a uh, a place to put text, and I had a, a square in the in the bridge where I could put like a like almost like a blackboard. I could put up you know, explanatory things up there, and it was really cool, and I loved it. And I get it back, and it's it looks really overexposed. Oh, bummer! Ah, so I had to learn how to match two different cameras and and adjust exposure levels to get it to look better. But then about halfway through, or a little less than halfway through, every time I moved my arms the exposure changed (laughs) and I'm I'm driving myself to distraction. So I can't fix that. And so it's going, you know, dark, bright, dark, bright, dark, bright, dark, 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 bright, 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 dark, bright, dark, bright. And I was like, ah, (laughs) but it was, it was sunset and it was getting dark and the camera was trying to expose on the edge of what it could do. And I was pushing it, didn't know it. And I, I posted it anyway, even though it was frustrating, I put a little, jokey sort of thing in my blackboard area about, <laughs> but how great my videos are with exposure settings going bonkers but it's like every t- every time i do something there's a new challenge that i did not know before and every time i switch cameras it's like hey this camera's great the first time and then the second time i go out some disaster happens like oh man so <laughs> shoot so does it have a manual control for exposure probably okay but there is that learning curve. and Yeah, but I can't do it because I can't have myself in the frame where I'm standing and adjust the camera at the same time. Mm. And if I leave the frame to go behind the camera or flip the screen up to go in front of the camera, then it's, it's not the same exposure setting. Ah, that's true. Because when you put, you know, white boy <laughs> Rob in the shot with a green background, maybe I'm wearing a light shirt or something, everything changes. And you do need it exposed for, the, you know, your face, your complexion. Yes. Yes. That is what you need to always yeah. go for, not what the scenery is doing. Yeah, unless you, you are using something like a uh, 
a board and you're going to refer to something written on it, then you'd have to take that in, into account as well. Mm. Oh, well. Well, you, you know, I, I'm available sometimes if you <laughs> need to give me a ring and I can hop in my car and go out there and just set the exposure and leave. And <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be happy to do that. I'll oblige. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm using my secondary camera, which is my old primary camera, and it's making a better, it made a better picture this time. But I had it at a wonky mm -hmm. angle and I couldn't use it as a primary for the video. It's like, hmm. So next time I think I might set up the camera side by side or one on top of the other, maybe just a little bit different. So it looks like a two camera shot, but I could use either one as the primary, I think. Yeah, yeah. Experiment with that and see what you think of it. Because I've done that plenty of times. Oh, really? Okay. I, I said, hey, that's a good idea, but I had not, I had not tried it yet. Because I like, I like using my secondary camera to take a wide shot of me and the tripod with the camera with my note thing hanging there. It's just kind of cool, like a back, you know, behind the scenes sort of shot sort of thing. But not if my primary camera is not doing what I think. Plus, it's a, it's a beautiful, nice camera, but it was a gift. And it's an old model. It's a Sony RX100 Mark VI. And it's not video optimized. So I can only film for about 20 minutes before it overheats. Oh, bummer. Yeah, the next model, the Model 7, is fine. The video is great, but the Model 6, there, there is a limit to how long I can film before it times out, which is nice because it makes me be succinct. It makes me get to my video, go boom, 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 and be done. I can't do 30-minute videos with this. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. What are you talking about for biblical genetics? You didn't, you didn't tell us yet. What is biblical genetics all about? <laughs> Thank you for getting us on track. <laughs> 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 well. It, the title should be self-descriptive. I'm taking... It, it is, but I mean, the Bible's a textbook, so you're going to have to explain true. to me how you're this getting genetics out of the Bible. Well, genetics is a study of how information is passed from one generation to the next. So, genetics is a study of history. And the Bible claims to be a history book. Therefore, genetics should relate to scripture. So, essentially, I'm taking the study of DNA and inheritance and applying that to the biblical history and seeing if the two things match. That's, that's my goal here. And while I'm doing this, I'm challenging evolutionary theory and evolutionary dogmas. And in my work, I'm trying to glorify God by pointing to people out, pointing out to people all the amazing things that God engineered into his creation. Now, biochemistry is amazing. I'm not a biochemist. Genetics is amazing. And I am a geneticist focusing on DNA and the amazing, amazing, amazing things that we're finding in our modern times. So something I wondered about when we were starting Equinox was whether or not you, there would be a lot more overlap of the topics here and the topics on biblical genetics. And all things considered, there hasn't been a lot of genetics-related discussion for it, Equinox. I even has. had a playlist created for just genetic topics, and it's been a while since I put another episode into that playlist. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. We haven't had a lot of overlap, and it kind of surprised me too, but there's so many fun things in science to talk about that we haven't had a yeah. need to default back to, hey, Rob, uh, what are you doing in genetics today? Let, let's do it. Because, you know, how do I say that? Like, if we ran out of ideas, you might have said, hey, Rob, we're out of ideas. What did you just talk about biblical genetics? Let's do that on Equinox. And that hasn't happened. Yeah, no. Which is cool. It is, so, I did think it'd be good to review then everything you've talked about to date. And I, I can go through the list here that you have on your own show. So these are the topics that Rob has covered from the beginning of biblical genetics to the present. He feels confident that this is included in the video content. So we have biblical ideas like species were designed to change 
And, you know, we kind of understand that, you know, if you start with one kind of rhinoceros, you wind up with multiple kinds of rhinoceros or multiple kinds of pachyderms, elephants and mammoths or dogs and cats, different kinds of breeds of cats and dogs. I'm screaming right now because I want to launch into a three-hour lecture on species were designed to change because it's one of the coolest things I've ever spoken about and ever written about. Anyway. Could you put it into three minutes? Yes. (laughs) Sure. Give it a shot. Okay. I have a three-part article series on creation.com and I'm three parts on biblicalgenetics.com and I'm going to have a fourth part coming out soon. Basically, I took the last article and divided it into two parts because it was too complicated for one video. Essentially is this, God intelligently designed his creation to adapt to new circumstances. He deliberately engineered the potential for change into the genome. He did that by front-loading information in the genome, by setting up the genome so some parts could mutate over time and other parts wouldn't mutate over time. So, he, he put limits on the types of changes that might happen. And he allowed for recombination to bring new genes into combinations that he didn't pro- pre-program initially, but he le- set it up so it could happen later. So, brand new features and behaviors and looks and attitudes on creatures could just appear that weren't there before. So, he intelligently designed things to change over time. Now, there are limits to the change. The, the limit is essentially you can't have something appear that wasn't there initially. In other words, you can't have a giant brand new biochemical pathway. So, photosynthesis is never going to arise from scratch. But you could tweak photosynthesis, take the information of photosynthetic pathway and make it a little more efficient, a little less efficient, you know, change it some way. But the whole system can't arise from nothing. Right. Dinosaurs aren't going to evolve into birds. Whales are not going to evolve from some land animal that was on Noah's Ark. Those are just excluded, but it doesn't mean that there's zero change. In fact, there's a lot of change. And then when you think about what God designed, he didn't just create two things. He he would have created millions of beetles, billions of E. coli, tons of earthworms, lots of oak trees. He could have put a tremendous amount of diversity in that initial creation. And so, we have a lot of capacity for change over time. And then if you think about this, this is the coolest revelation I've had in a long time. What if he created one group of interrelated organisms, but he put them in different pockets all around the world? So, like one snail that can't get from the shoreline here to the shoreline somewhere else, but they're the same snail. They just can't ever meet. Well, there could be different genetics in the different subpopulations. And then over some period of time, a thousand years or so, maybe a a snail egg gets stuck on a duck foot and the duck flies to another (laughs) pond and the snail hatches in that pond and now you have new genes being introduced and you can get a burst of new species forming because you just scramble the genetics that were in separate pockets and it makes it really complicated and this might explain weird things in paleontology like, you know, the duck-billed dinosaurs. Some of them look very discrete species-like and some of them don't or trilobites. There's like 1,200 species of trilobites in all these different families, all these different orders, but there's like 50-something families they can't even put into the, into the family tree of trilobites. They're weird. It's like, how, where do these even fit? Well, this might be because of that initial created diversity and a lot of scrambling over time. That species are designed to change in a nutshell. Very nice. <laughs> and I wish I could show you some of the diagrams I've been drawing because they're really cool looking. Oh, fantastic. Hmm. Okay, well then, uh, moving on with the other points of the subjects in the list, we have under ha- uh, blah, blah, blah. we have under biblical ideas. 
the waiting time problem. Okay. Then the mutations are not random. Genetic entropy versus simple organisms. Natural selection in paradise. Uh, what does that mean? You mean like before the fall? Yeah. Natural selection okay, would yeah. have been in operation before sin entered the world, before sin and death entered the world. Ah, it's yeah, part of, of the created order. It's not evolution. And then you got modern humans from Adam and Eve. You bet. Because yep. you talk, yeah, and that's, that's kind of the heart and soul of the, the content, wouldn't you say? Yeah, my goal has always been to take all the different peoples in the world and explain where they came from. Explain to them where they came from. So Pacific Islanders, here's how you're linked back to Adam and Eve and the Tower of Babel and Noah. Or Australian Aborigines, Native Americans, people from Iceland. And just tell everyone where they came from and how they got there. It is so cool that we all go back to just two people, or more specifically, Noah's family, and before that, two, yeah. uh, two other people. Yeah. So then uh, another category of topics, we've got countering evolution, such as, was Africa the cradle of humanity and origin of life smackdown? One of my favorites. Why is it a smackdown? Because I was reviewing a book by uh, Changed Han and Rob Sadler called The uh, Stairway to Life. And it was a fantastic book, so I just did a video on it. And they laid out these multiple aspects of origin of life scenarios that are impossible. Mm. You just you're not going to get life from non-life. There's in chemistry, there's nothing to suggest that this is even remotely possible. And they blew the origin of life idea out of the water. It was a fantastic book. Then we have epigenetics versus Darwinism, and did Eve live in Southern Africa and ancient DNA, which is not specifically Eve's. And then you go into the genetic complexity, the improbable DNA corkscrew, the fragility of DNA is the bane of Darwinism, ATP drives its own creation, the spaghettification of irreducible complexity. (laughs) (laughs) That's a mouthful, spaghettification. Add that vocabulary (laughs) word of the week. I love that. That's my favorite title I've ever done. (laughs) And then you got splicing and slicing the genome, genetic or genomic. Is it genomic? Genomic. 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 Yeah. Complexity. And then you have biblical applications like patriarchal drive. What's the patriarchal drive? It is the thought that the patriarchs in the Bible are bad genetically because men pass on more mutations as they get older because our reproductive cells divide like crazy from puberty until we die. And every time a cell divides, it probably adds another mutation to the DNA. And so if you have a very old man fathering children late in life, he's going to create children with very long branch lengths on the family tree. So if you had um, a child born to, say, Shem, when Shem is 500 years old, that child's going to get a lot of mutations. But if Shem had, a, Shem had a child at 20, and that child had a child at 20, and that child had a child at 20, and do that for... 500 years, I guess that'd be 25 generations, that after 25 generations, there will be less mutations in that person than that one child of Shem. (laughs) And I computer modeled this and showed that in the early years, while those patriarchs were still alive before they finally died off, if they were having children late in life, they would have been adding a whole lot of mutations to the population. I call the patriarchal drive. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then you have Jacob's sheep breeding experiment, oh, which is recorded in the Bible. Good example of genetics and practice. Yes, and, and interestingly, that's my one video that keeps getting views. Huh. So every week it gets more views than any of my other older videos. And I'm, I'm not sure why. I must have hit something on the head where people are asking questions. But the Bible in Genesis 
has a very interesting record of species changing because Jacob took a a breed of sheep and changed their coat color. The goats also. Yeah, okay. Amazing. Yeah, it is. I I remember being intrigued with that story growing up while studying the book of Genesis. It's really hard to explain. It's really hard to understand. Hmm. And there's magic sticks and there's all these weird things, but I explain it. And it is a genetic process and it makes lots of sense when you lay everything out correctly. And then you've got angelic DNA. Now, is that just like women's DNA? What do you mean by angelic? Um, That is a a question of um, are aliens impregnating human females today? And were the Nephilim in the Bible products of angels and humans? Oh, okay. Huh. And have you, so you've done a whole video about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Fun a stuff. serious topic. Not many would be willing to take on that one. Well, Good on you. Yeah, well, I'm glutton for punishment. <laughs> and then you got genetic diversity on the ark, ancient history versus the table of nations. What's the table of nations? That is Genesis chapter 10, a description of the sons and grandsons of Noah as they're spreading out on the earth after the Tower of Babel and where they went. Okay. And so the question was, does genetics match the Bible? Cool question. Right. Okay. You said a little while ago, how many videos you've got right now? I think it's 48. Okay, yeah. And you haven't hit the bottom of the ideas or the queue. Not even close. So you got um, genetic diversity on the ark. And then ancient history versus the table of nations, and then evolutionary versus biblical bottle, bottlenecks. I can't talk today. I'm trying to again. <laughs> evolutionary versus biblical bottlenecks, and then don't be afraid of the Bible. What do you mean by don't be afraid of the Bible? I'm not afraid of the Bible. A lot of people are. Mm. I certainly was as a young person. I know. Okay. What, I know what the Bible yeah. said. I knew what science said. Both of them couldn't be right at the same time, and the Bible lost. Mm. Yeah, you take that on. Good, good. Then you got social issues such as racial tensions and privacy is dead, oh, which, yeah. which you've actually talked about here. That's one of the examples. I don't think you've oh, talked yes. about it like as a, a full-fledged topic, but it has come up on here yep. more than once. Yep. Genetics has completely destroyed personal privacy. It's gone forever. And then you got genetic engineering of humans, which is kind of guaranteed at this point. It's already happening. Yes. And the use of fetal cells and vaccines and technology. And we talked a little bit about that on the podcast. How many times have you talked about vaccines on your uh, biblical genetics? Oh, just once or twice. Okay. But every day at CMI, I'm answering questions about vaccines. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Yeah. It's like, I want to talk about, <laughs> about science and the Bible and creation. And everyone wants to ask me questions about COVID-19. <sighs> okay. uh, yeah. I'm so glad that I don't have your job sometimes. Then other times it's kind of, eh, his job is pretty cool. I see. So the use of fetal cells and vaccines and technology. By the way, I'm, I really do admire your work. I'm just saying, at this point, I too would be very exhausted of the vaccines topic if I had to respond to so many. Well, but that particular one, though, I learned so much and it was so utterly disturbing. I, I thought I knew what was going on as far as vaccine development goes. But as I dug and dug, I learned so much more about the situation that led to the abortion that led to the generation of the cells that are used in these different vaccines. And in the end, I realized that I could link this to my privacy is dead argument. And all of a sudden, the people who are donating embryos or the people in the abortion clinic who are donating their aborted baby, they're no longer private. They can't hide behind anonymity anymore. And so some poor, you know, 19-year-old girl in 1972 who went and got an abortion in the poor, you know what I mean, I guess, in in um in the Netherlands, 
she has no idea and her other children have and her husband has no idea of the storm that might be coming when all of a sudden people start throwing rocks through their windows and things like that because this woman murdered her child mm. and the husband might not even know and the child might not even be the husband's mm. and the brothers and sisters might not know that their mom killed one of their their siblings i mean that there's a lot of really ugly social ramifications to this but i i think we could actually shut down the entire industry by pulling a WikiLeaks. Hmm. Anyway. Then you well, then other kinds of topics you've gone into are things like philosophy, COVID nineteen, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And uh so we got here nature versus God. And honestly, and what do you mean by that? Well, that's my favorite video I've ever done. Nice. I was um on the Appalachian Trail. I was coming home from an event up in uh, North Carolina, and I pulled over at this place on on, on a ridge, and I knew the trail across the highway there. It took me like a half an hour to find where the trail was. Driving me nuts. And then I walked and walked and walked. And someone told me there's a waterfall. So, oh, okay. So, I walked for like an hour and a half and I never found this waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I just I just parked it in the middle of the woods on a rock. And I set up my camera on a little mini tripod. And I just talked for 30 minutes and just flowed. I, I've never spoken that long. And I hardly had to edit the video at all. And I just nice. talked about the relationship between science and faith. And the philosophy of naturalistic science and how all these things that challenge our faith are really philosophy. It's not a scientific fact. It's something that's couched upon a giant assumption. When you question that assumption, all the evolutionary stuff just kind of falls apart. And it was, it was like my favorite talk I've ever given in my life. And it didn't get a lot of airplay. Not a lot of people watch that one, which is really sad. Huh. Nature versus God. We'll throw that into the show notes. Make sure it gets some more traction. Oh, okay. We can do that. Then you do have another topic named... Trust me, I'm a scientist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this happens all too often, eh? I was being sarcastic, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's a big problem today, too, because people distrust authority. And this whole COVID-19 thing is just making it worse because they realize scientists are a bunch of bumbling idiots. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And then going into the COVID-19 topic, you have how COVID-19 testing works, pandemics versus entropy, the pandemic. That was a review, a review of the, uh, I call it a mockumentary, of the documentary called Plandemic. Yeah. Mm, right. Okay. And that, was, that, w- that one video went viral. I got more views on that video than anything ever. I mean, 10 times, 100 times more views probably. You know, I could only handle so much discussion about it, to be honest. But I, I want to be informed, but... It is still something that people are thirsty for more knowledge on. Yeah. In fact, that one, I had 114,000 views. My second most viewed video was RNA vaccines. I had 4,000 views. And then Ancient History versus Table of Nations, I have 3,000. And Jacob's Livestock, 2,700. And it goes on down from there. Hmm. So 114,000 to 4,000. That, that was actually <laughs> frustrating. I didn't know that one would explode like that. And I was like, all right, now I'm on the board, man. Now everyone's watching my stuff. Yeah, so I put out another video and it got like 200 views. I was like, oh, no, I was so disappointed. That was, that was an emotional uh, downer, a huge downer. Well, see, the thing is, is that the YouTube algorithm and what people will find is n- not a science. Yeah, there's a lot still in flux. Yeah. You get, you're getting more traction little by little. It's just taking a while. I am. I had latched on to the coattails of something that was trending, which was a pandemic mm-hmm. video, not realizing that it was going to carry me along. 
and not realizing that that had absolutely nothing to do with whatever I did in the future. So you learn. You put on your big boy britches and you keep on plugging away. Then you had the RNA vaccines. Did you talk about that in the same episode you just talked about vaccines in general or did you have more to say about it? Um, No, um, I, I wanted to explain people how the RNA vaccines work because from a technological standpoint, they're the most brilliantest thing ever. Right. And from a safety standpoint, they sound pretty good. They're not perfect. and There's lots of concerns and questions about them, but they have the potential of curing cancer. No joke, they're working on it now. I mean, this is, this is going to be a very big deal in the future, and I want to explain to people how they work so we can understand and have a reasonable conversation about them. That could be a topic. It could be. I could see we th- uh, throwing that into the queue. Okay, then uh, you have the idea that most viruses are good. They are and good. And I've heard you talk about this. This is fascinating. Viruses are good for you. Viruses keep us alive. If it wasn't for viruses, we'd be eaten by bacteria. <laughs> There's probably 100 viral particles for every bacterium in your gut. They regulate the number and the species of bacteria. Most all viruses in the world are good. It's when a virus jumps to a new species that the problem arises because that new species doesn't have a way to regulate that virus. So influenza is a duck virus. It's not a human virus. Uh, COVID-19, the virus that causes that is a bat virus. SARS and MERS are bat viruses. Uh, Tuberculosis is a bacterium, but it comes from cows. It's when Things jump to new species, a zoonotic, they call it. That's a massive problem. But in the initial original species, they're often commensalic or neutral or sometimes beneficial. So viruses are good, usually. That is so wild. And then, and then to wrap up all the general topics that you've discussed on biblical genetics, we have anecdotes in genetics. And then the octopus is from Mars. <laughs> okay, the octopus is from Mars. <laughs> that's a catchy title i'd have clicked that if i had come across it if there are aliens living on earth it is the octopus oh yeah not only i mean think about it, they're 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 mollusks they're related to clams supposedly and they're smart they can open up bottle caps i mean they're, they're they they're just brilliant and they're amazing and genetically they're very weird so just saying octopuses are from mars there's actually a um uh, a title of an article I read a long time ago. And then the final topic that you listed here is the deluge of data. Yeah. What are you thinking about? Well, standing in front of Niagara Falls to record that. It was actually the shortest video I've done because I was freezing cold and soaking wet because it was November when I was there. It was, it was cold. But basically, I'm just saying to be a geneticist today is overwhelming because of the amount of, amount of data that we have. And it's probably the first time in world history where scientific discipline has more data than they have theory. And there's so much data right now. If we stop collecting genetic data, we could still work on it for another decade. Wow. And it's, it's literally like, you want to figure out what's happening in genetics? Stand on the shore of the Mississippi River with a thimble. Take a thimble full of water and now describe everything happening in the Mississippi River basin. <laughs> you can't do it. No. If you spend your year studying that thimble, you miss everything else flowing past you for that year. <laughs> I mean, there's, there are a million COVID-19 genomes that have been uploaded to the U.S. government databases. A million. Mm. I have 29,000 of them that I was working on just, just recently. I said, hey, let's go check. See, oh, a million. Oh, I'm not downloading that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just one species of one bacteria. There's ancient DNA. There's modern DNA of humans and horses. And there's flu and there's Ebola and there's mitochondria. And I mean, the amount of data, it, it's unbelievable how much stuff is there. It's a great time to pick some of the low-hanging fruit. 
All right. Well, then, so how do you prepare for your show? How do you put together what you want to say for biblical genetics? Hmm. Um, I muse for a while. Mm-hmm. And I usually don't have more than one show at a time. I do one at a time. I, I probably would produce more of them if I would do them in parallel. But I get one done, get it edited, get it loaded up, deal with some of the comments for a day or two. It's okay, now what am I doing next? And I'll think for a while. I'll look at some of the things I've written before. I'll look at some things other people have written. But very often, I mean, I've got this backlog of articles that I've written and things I've done before that I could talk about. But then I'll think of something new. Like species were designed to change. That's new. That just came out of the blue. And all these <laughs> these thoughts that I've had for a long time is like, oh, 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 hey, wow. And so, I write this article series. And the third part, I didn't even have, I, I was going to do a two-part series because my article got too long. And after I wrote them, the third part exploded in my brain and that came out also. And then I did a videos on them. See, see, it's really weird, but everything I do in my entire life, I imagine I'm teaching to somebody else. Yeah, of course. Of course. Do other people do that? Yeah. Well, I picture anytime I'm talking on Equinox that I'm talking to people I know. Oh, no, you but know, I'm, I mean, like, if, if I'm like, you know, sawing something or making something or reading something or typing something, I'm imagining I'm explaining to people while I'm doing it. Yeah. Okay. And so it's definitely one of the reasons why you sound far more engaging, just easier to listen to and easier to read. Interesting. But having this tag team between video and writing is really good for me. Because, I mean, I literally, I'll sit there, how do I say this? And multiple times I'm working on an idea for an artic- uh, a video and it's, uh-oh, no, no, I can't do that. I have to write the article first. Oh, and so, okay. Creation Ministries is getting a lot of great articles from me because I'm imagining what I would say, type it out. And as soon as I start doing show notes, oh, man. And so, a couple of times I've had a delay between episodes because I had to write an article, submit it, get it reviewed, get it up on the website, get it to appear on the website, and then I can do my, uh, my video. Like species yeah, okay. were designed to change part three, which came out today. The article appears tomorrow. Okay. And then you don't use a script, right? But do you keep some kind of outline or do you just keep it in your head? Uh, what I do is I write down a sketch, just key phrases and bullet points and things to jog my memory. Like even sometimes a single word and I can say a couple of paragraphs off of that. And I put them on a, um, on a legal pad and I have a string running through the, uh, the, the pages that's tied real tight and I hang it on my tripod. I used to try to prop it up behind the tripod or hold it in my hand off camera, but I just hang it right underneath the camera. So, I got I, all I have to do is look down and then look up at the camera again. Mm-hmm. I used to try to put it on my, my uh, laptop screen, have my laptop sitting somewhere above or behind the camera, uh, but it's just easier just having it written down and just hanging there. And then the problem is when the wind blows, the page will flip up or you can hear, it, uh, hear the pages blowing in the wind. And I keep forgetting to bring a clip with me. But someday I'll have a clip and I'll remember that. But it's just, it's just a few words on a, on a page. Okay. So then if our listeners, I, I have a few more questions I wanted to get to before we run out of time. Okay. Uh, if our listeners wanted to find biblical genetics and follow it, what would you like them to do? Do you want them to catch it on Facebook, uh, YouTube? What do you have in mind? Um, well... Visit biblicalgenetics.com? Yes, but I'm conflicted. Mm -hmm. I post the videos on my website, biblicalgenetics.com. And there's also a a podcast. We forgot to say that. While I'm talking, I'm trying not to say, look at this chart or this color blue indicates I'm trying to actually use words that you can listen to and not have to watch the video. So, I have a podcast that follows it. Yeah, that is a really significant challenge for people who know the recording (laughs) video content. It's easy to forget the audio audience. Oh, and I do it all the time, but I try not to. Uh, And then for the 
for the podcast, I will record a five or 10 minute intro for each episode also, because I get to talk more and just tell them about life and things like that. And so the my podcast and video get loaded to biblicalgenetics.com. And at the same time, I will launch a YouTube video. And there's always a, a link underneath it that points to the show notes on biblicalgenetics.com. And there's a little link there for, um, hey, if you want to sponsor this program, you can do a monthly sponsorship on uh, Patreon or just a one-off little tip jar on buymeacoffee.com. That's always in the show notes on YouTube. And then after a week or so, I'll load it onto Facebook because I have Biblical Genetics video uh, channel on Facebook. And I'll, I'll re... Basically, I'll, when it appears on YouTube, I post it out on Facebook. But Facebook doesn't like YouTube because it's a different platform. So after a couple of weeks, I'll post it on Facebook and then repost it again on my personal stuff and on the Biblical Genetics Facebook group. So everyone gets to see it a couple times. I post a link on Parler. I post a link on Gab. And I post a link on MeWe. <laughs> but Parler, Gab, and MeWe, I'm getting almost no traction. Maybe it's because I don't spend hours and hours and hours trying to build up a, rep, a, a, a customer base. But I get very little interaction in those other places. But also, hey, uh, to note, also, we have a Equinox podcast group on MeWe. And I post every one of those episodes on MeWe and then share it to my, my we, MeWe personal page. But again, that doesn't get much traction either. I think yeah, just, okay. just because I'm not on MeWe, I, I don't understand that platform. I understand Facebook, and best for old people anyway, but I, I get it. Yeah, I'm not on the newer networks either. I, I really enjoy visiting networks for a quick you know check-in uh, whether it's twitter facebook or youtube I, I i just don't really spend a lot of time there though like i have friends in the real world i want to catch up on a phone call or have them over and yeah i just don't make a ton of time to really do social media well what kills me yeah is during the pandemic and the election of joe biden conservative christians fled facebook and they flocked to the other the other alternative platforms. But what that did is it, it took a block of people and scattered them. And slowly they might come back to Facebook again, but it's like I lost my support base on the one place where I was trying to build a community of supporters. And they're like, oh, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Oh, yeah, I only come do personal stuff and I'll check in once a month. Find me over on MeWe or Gab or something like that, but then I never see them there. Mm. So, yeah, yeah the, the whole pandemic and distrust of authority and the big brother actions of the big social media platforms really killed me. Like I was I'm watching my support base grow and grow and grow and my YouTube watches grow and my web traffic grow and then it kind of tanked and it's slowly growing again. But I had to le- relearn a different formula. My old formula doesn't work as well as it did a year and a half ago. Mm. Oh, well, live and learn. Well, see where it goes next. So, if you had one thing you would like to share as advice to another aspiring YouTuber filmmaker, you know, if they were just like, hey, Dr. Carter, what should I do? What would, kind of advice you'd give me? You know, what would be like your, the thing that jumps out at you? Any particular thing you've learned in the last year plus? Yep. One word. Start. Three words. Tough it out or suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> it's going to be harder than you think, but you can't do it until you start doing it. So stop dawdling, get those ideas down on paper, get some kind of a camera, start recording yourself. Your first ones are going to be terrible. Everyone told me that. I didn't believe them. I'm embarrassed about my first three that I posted. They're (laughs) awful and they're horrible. And I worked, those things took me months to edit. It it, it was the hardest thing ever. In fact, I hired a person that you know, and I, I was trying to describe, okay, take, you know, 
take three from minute 105 to 222 and put that in front of take two. And I was trying to, and it was impossible. And so <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, yeah. it's an author told me that the first book is a throwaway book. Just write it and it's garbage. It's like, what? And you know, everyone's like, I'm going to write the best, the best uh, novel ever. It's going to right off the bat. I'm going to be the famous artist. None. All the, all the authors say that your first book is nonsense. And the same with video making. Mm. Just make it. Just do it and put it out there. And you have to be willing to be embarrassed and you have to be willing to be humiliated and you have to be willing to be depressed <laughs> or you're not going to be a successful artist. Well, I, and so, so that's the thing is, uh, so you just went in a, opened a can of worms. You went and referred to yourself as an artist. Well, I, I don't know if I'd call it art, would you? Yes. Okay. It, it, there's a craft here. I mean, I'm not good at it. But I'm picking, I mean, I'm traveling to all these different exotic locations uh, in front of a bunch of windmills in a, in a forest, in front of the Niagara Falls, in the deserts of Arizona, in a swamp in Florida, my front porch. I'm, I'm, I'm picking all these random locations, which is I have to deal with lighting, I have to deal with sound, color. Um, that, this, there's artistry to it and I'm learning. But also the crafting of information and putting it on camera. I'm an actor. No joke. Okay. I am yeah. a practicing actor and that is tough because I'm not, I'm not trying to be a liar. I'm not trying to make stuff up. I'm trying to present information that's factual, but I have to smile. I have to engage the audience. I have to look at the camera. I have to watch my hand placement. I have to watch my gestures and I don't smile enough and I know it. Yeah. Like for example, it's really tricky, but as a beginner, you got to learn to smile before you say the first word. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, great point. And so, what I've taken to doing is after I'm all done, if I remember, I don't always remember though, before I turn off the camera, I'll stop and I'll smile and I'll smile again <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll, I'll give some you know, goofy sort of look and I'll smile and I'll turn my head and I'll step to the side a little bit and I'm just trying to get some decent shot of me looking like I'm enjoying what I'm doing that I can use as my cover <laughs> art. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's hard. <laughs> the, the thing is, is that it is so arbitrary, but a good thumbnail makes a difference. And it's so silly, but it's so true because oh. I don't really want a video that feels silly. And then if you look at the thumbnail, though, it really sucks you in if it, it, if it's interesting, entertaining, and it looks like the person's enthusiastic. Yes. But if you think about that funky look on their face, if they actually looked like that in their video, I'd probably <laughs> turn it off really quick. <laughs> but it does pull you in on a thumbnail. Like occasionally you'll send me a screenshot of some goofy face that I have from one of the videos you record of me. I'm like, how oh, do I really look like that? <laughs> <laughs> right. <sighs> well, I just got to say, Rob, wrapping up the biblical genetics as a, uh, it has been really inspiring to see you talk about your videos, that you've promoted them, that you've taken the time to create them. I want to do some videos of my own on the side, but I am also planning on uh, like a, the right season of life to do it. And I'm not ready to do it just yet, but I am looking forward to doing it in the near future. And you are my source of inspiration. So thank wow, you so much. Thank and you. It has been just fun to talk about it with you behind the scenes. And if you haven't watched Biblical Genetics, you should subscribe today. It's just that good. And if you're a podcast listener, you don't have to watch the videos. You should get the audio-only podcast version too. Yep. So that's just convenient. Well, thank you for that plug. And I appreciate you asking me, say, hey, Rob, why don't we do a Biblical Genetics show here on Equinox? That never occurred to me. I never would have thought of that. So I appreciate it. Great idea. Yeah. And down the road, if you have a particular 
subject you want to revisit and say, hey, you know, something really interesting happened on biblical genetics and I just want to share it with the Equinox audience. And please do. I want to hear those stories. Okay. So next time, we are going to be reviewing the Apollo 11 documentary film. It's a documentary, right? It with is. With a little bit of acting, maybe? Um, it, it's entirely shot with real footage from the Apollo Okay, so 11. not like historically recreated, reenacted things, but no. real footage. But yeah, things that no one had ever seen. I mean, they saw it, but it went into a can. So audio recordings and video, um, telemetry data, just you know, guys at NASA talking back and forth to each other that was recorded and no one ever listened to. And this filmmaker went and he listened to it all and he made a movie. Oh, it was so good. I am looking forward to this. So, so we you're, talked you're, about- You're going to watch it a, this week? Yeah. So I'm going to watch it. You should watch it and we'll talk about it next week. What platform are you going to watch it on? Netflix, Amazon? Yeah. So I'm probably going to catch it on Amazon Prime. It's $4 for rent in HD. I think that that's totally worth it. If you want the link, I'll throw that into the show notes as well, just for anyone's convenience. But catch this documentary. Rob's already seen it and recommended it, and I'm happy to discuss it on Equinox. So anything else you wanted to say, Rob? I just wanted to say that it's morning in Australia, and I'm starting to get emails from the Australian office, and I just got a comment on Species Were Designed to Change Part 3. So obviously, it's already on creation.com on the other side of the world because it's already tomorrow there. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us on this quest about the other quest. And if you found this topic of biblical genetics interesting in any way, check it out. And this episode's links and show notes are available with your podcast player with this show. If uh, you're listening to this from a subscription on the podcast app, be sure to check out the show notes there. And if you also want to, because it's more convenient, visit the website. That's nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 65 for this episode. And if you want to get Equinox Plus, It'll give you bonus episodes once a month or so. You'll get to hear more from us. So if you want to find me, I am at JCS Darnell on Twitter or take a listen to my other podcast, Hi-Fi, which is also available at nightowl.fm. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You have been listening to Equinox. Equinox.